What's going on? It's time for another episode of Too Hard for the Radio. Transmitting from the future free state of Greater Idaho, I am the one-armed madman. And from Sin City, we've got with us tonight, Mr. Daniel Steele. How are we doing, my man? Great doing great. How are you doing? Great, great. Man, this is great timing because ChatGPT is in the news, and I just wanted to start out with this. I, I'm on the record. I was on a, a, on a conspiracy podcast a couple years ago, like right in the beginning of COVID, and the most controversial thing that I said was, AI is a big problem. It's a hard problem. It's something that's not going to be solved anytime soon, and a lot of this stuff is just noise. Um, to this date, I haven't really, like, I don't have any background in AI. I don't even really know how to use computers, but I read a lot of sci-fi. So I get a lot of opinions from a lot of people who have really looked into this stuff. And there's some things that are just going to be hard to do. So with that, I'm going to play this video and we'll get your reaction. Here we go. This is, oh, by the way, this is Brian Rose. He hosts London Real, so he's got a big podcast. One of my one of our my buddies here sent me this clip to troll me this week because he knew it'd get me going, and uh, I'm sure he's interviewed a lot of people that know a lot about AI. And let's hear what he's got to say. First of all, it's the, been the largest uh, adoption of technology in human history. This ChatGPT thing went from zero to a million users in four days, went to 100 million users in two months. That's uh, unprecedented. We've never seen that. Not the internet. Not the mobile phone. This is potentially going to make humans obsolete. And I think we need to be uh, aware of that and try to make sure it's not controlled by the big tech companies or government. We need to find a way to decentralize it and understand it, or it's really gonna take over and it's gonna happen very quickly, Alex, within years. So humans are gonna be obsolete within years. That, so I agree with a lot of what he had to say. Me too. Um, you know, Facebook, Twitter took over five years for them to get to 100 million users. The adoption of this is insane. Um, people freaked out, call it 2014, 2015, when Uber introduced the self-driving semi. And as much as anything, I believe that some, like the trucking industry is kind of the backbone of America. Yes. People were, were really freaked out and then um that's when the learn to code thing happened on twitter mm -hmm. they were like oh they can just learn how to code oh, and then yeah. for whatever reason uh anytime you said learn to code you get banned there <laughs> yeah um but but it's just the you know that that class of elite people like oh just learn how to code it's fine that class of elite people are the ones who are going to be hurt the most by this um the semi-driver, you still need to get that first mile and that last mile you might be able to put it across the expressway Across the interstate, that's fine. You still have to get that first mile and that last mile. But like the, these writers that went on strike this week, and what a terrible time to go on strike. The computer can do your job now. Oh, yeah. And you're going to hold up for more money. Um, like, uh, I, I, there's a guy, his name is David Sachs. He was the uh, founding CEO of PayPal. Mm -hmm. He calls them um, the uh, surplus elite. So we have all these elite people that are completely unnecessary. And the, where we're going to see the biggest is in the surplus elite, um, but pe like uh, plumbers, people who know how to work with their hands, they're going to be just fine. You know, I saw a video on Instagram somebody sent to me the other day, 
and it was a bucket truck working on power lines with robotic arms and it was doing the most basic cut in. I mean, we're talking one wire to another, clamp them together, squeeze it. And it's like, you know, 10 minutes left, they're cutting and it's still trying to clamp. And it's just, you know, yeah. this is not going to happen anytime soon. And this is the most basic straight line cut in that any apprentice could do. But your everyday writer, I mean, I'm, to give a little background, I've never, I've never been able to follow through with a blog. Mm-hmm. Like I maybe do one or two posts and I'm done. I, I've Me made too. four books this year, four <laughs> books. So like, uh, imagine that, like I've been trying for 15 years maybe to successfully launch a blog. So I think I have things that are interesting to say. Couldn't even keep consistent microblogging on Twitter with content. Um, and now I've been able to put out four books. It's it, like that class of people and that I, that is going to change significantly. Um, and I'm, I'm here for it, honestly. Yeah, I am too. You know, I was, uh, I'm in a, a history class right now. I'm, I'm finishing up my last semester of retraining. They told me, you know, Hey, why don't you learn to code? <laughs> and they sent me <laughs> to school to do it. Uh, luckily I didn't have to do it like actual coding, but I, I'm in this great, you know, ideas and history class and I'm writing about, Plato and the Theban plays and I'm, you know, bored with this stuff at this point. So I'm like relating it to the matrix and, you know, the cave and the matrix and all this stuff. And I get done and I'm like, man, I could use a little more here and a little more there. And I, I, ding, I'm going to go prompt the chat GPT. And I had it write out the same length paper on the same subject. And I think mine was better. Like it was more like structurally sound than mine was. Mine would be better after like pumping it through there (laughs) a couple of times, but it wasn't that great. But again, it, there was some stuff like, oh, there's an idea there or that, that could work. So like, to me, I look at it as a tool, like because I'm an amputee, I use my iPad for everything. It just makes my life so much easier. I've got a G board that has a predictive keypad on it. And, you know, that thing, I would say it probably works with like 50% accuracy. And to me, it's like, I don't know how much smarter chat GPT is than that, but it's just another tool at this point is the way I'm looking at it. I'm looking at it like a tool too. You know, I I gave my books to my best friend's mom. She re you know, she's like a mom to me. Uh, Like any, big proposals, anything lengthy that I'd write, I'd send to her and she'd always, you know, read through it and help me modify it. I sent her this, the books and she uh, read through it and she's like, they were structured perfectly. Grammar was perfect, but it was missing soul. When Mm -hmm. I read, when she reads my writing, she's like, I I hear you. I feel you as I turn and I can't wait to turn the page, even in your business presentations, because you put your heart and soul into it. And this book, it was just like sterile. And she said, I haven't finished it yet. I said, oh, don't worry. That's what I was looking for was like, what is your actual feedback on this? Interesting. And I think that there's a certain amount of authenticity and people can smell bullshit, always have been able to. So if you're not authentic, people can tell. And when the content is inauthentic, people will be able to tell for quite a while. I don't think you'd be able to get heart and passion quite yet out of it. Yeah, it's... um. Like I, I get frustrated when I hear people calling it AGI. Oh, it's AGI. It's AGI. 
And I think they're just throwing out buzzwords because this thing is so far from an AGI as far as like an AGI that you would get in a sci-fi novel. You know, I'm reading a great series right now, Expeditionary Force, that features a a high-level superintelligence is one of the characters. And you're like, yeah, this is an actual thing. This has got soul. It's got feeling. What we're dealing with right now is like, I hate to say it, but it's like just a a fancy word processor, right? I mean, it's kind of just pulling stuff out and predicting what's coming next. Am I correct on that? So I, uh, I started a company in 2013 um, doing influencer marketing back before influencers were really a thing. And where our company really got a big break is we partnered with IBM Watson, which is IBM's AI. And it's been around for quite a while. Uh, played Jeopardy. I don't know if you remember yeah, that. Yeah, I do. Quite a while. Um, <clears throat> so we were able to, let's say Disney wanted to do an advertising campaign. We were able to look at um, the audience of the influencers and match that audience up with the typical Disney audience. And then we looked at how Disney fans talked about Disney using natural language processing. And we were able to create content in the tone of an authentic Disney fan. And it in our ads would do as well, if not better an engagement than a normal post from the influencers. And that cost us about $15 million to build. I think that what we're experiencing now has been pretty available. It's just uh, affordable for everybody now. It's a good bit fast, good bit, like there's a lot of things going on, but the collective, these innovations, these different products that you see people putting out, it's because they could afford to do it. Not Mm -hmm. everybody had, you know, raised venture capital in order to go out and build this massive product. You don't have to do that anymore. I think that's more what we're seeing. Now, what type of industries do you think are going to capitalize on this that like people aren't thinking of? So like one of the things that I thought that would be interesting would be you know, it'd be impressive to see one of these things pull a decent final four bracket and then get into like the gambling world. I think there's going to be weird stuff. What do you think people are going to use it for that we're not expecting? So gambling, there was enough money in it to use AI before AI was cheap. Oh, they're already using it. Okay. Yeah. I'll give you a couple (laughs) examples. A friend of mine, um, this was right. This actually, this is my first experience with AI. He had written um, a a bot to play online poker and you could buy hands. This was tournament poker and tournament poker is pretty solved, especially in sit and go tournament. Like the variables are very small and there's a, a thing called ICM or independent chip module which gives you the perfect play each time based on the number of chips you have, the number of chips your opponent has. And he was able to build a bot that taught itself how to play. So he fed it ICM and then he fed it uh, 10 million hands. And then all of a sudden it was playing, it wasn't playing ICM strategy, it was playing its own strategy and it was winning more than a human had ever won before as far as like a percentage. And he kept getting banned. Uh. Um, So you had to actually dumb it down and uh, the, that was in 20, 2010. Wall Street Journal put out an article in like 2017, 2018 about a com- company that was doing like worse than he was doing. But it, he never got any, he never got recognized for it because what he was doing was uh, against the terms of service for the sites. And then um, the, the other example is uh, a company called William Hill. They are a sports betting company. 
and they do uh, for a long time they did like in-game betting with uh, soccer and their soccer algorithm was wonderful like you, you couldn't like they didn't lose when they launched my my friend's wife um, rebuilt their app here in the states or in, in Nevada specifically and when they launched basketball they didn't have the data the in-game data that they had to self-teach so we were beating we both deposited like fifty dollars and we both cashed out over ten thousand dollars just uh, a, a good example would be you have college football uh, the the a string goes out there they put up 50 points in the first quarter the AI was like oh this is going to be a 200 point game but no they're going to put in their b string and their c string and when those line when the lineup changed mid-game the AI didn't adapt for that so you could bet the other side profitably uh, but that eventually, you know, their, their football got good, their basketball got good, but, uh, gambling, there's always been a, a good interest and enough money behind it to actually use AI. You know, I, and now that you were talking about it, a story came up to my mind. There was a big chess tournament earlier this year where a guy, you know what I'm talking about, the a guy, guy came flag. out of nowhere and he, they found out he'd gotten caught cheating a couple times on the internet and the second day or third day of the tournament, the security guy started waving the security wand over his butt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that one. Um, you know, what's interesting is they haven't proven that he was cheating yet. No, I know. Um, but so the, the way that uh, that that was explained to me was there's a perfect move. And maybe you and I could think 10 moves ahead, right? But there's a perfect move right now considering a harder move down the road. And the only way that you would be able to make that perfect move right now, it would look ridiculous to the human eye is if you were thinking a hundred moves down the road and people just aren't able to think at that level. Um, so it was quite clear that he was cheating, but they haven't proven that yet. Whew, that'd be a serious story to break. Yeah. <laughs> And who are we to kink shame the guy, you know? Oh, it, you know, <laughs> look at me. You can imagine I might have tried a couple of things here and there that people might think are a little weird. <laughs> Speaking of but, that, uh, oh. let's uh, let's talk a little bit about augmented humanity. That's uh, kind of right up my alley. Uh, when I, so as a kid, I was really into the Discovery Channel. And this is, I'm young enough to like, or old enough, I guess, at this point to where they, they still had good stuff on. So was I was already shows. Yeah. So I was already interested in like aliens and transhumanism and all this stuff. So like as soon as I knew I was getting an amputation, I started looking into hands and I remember some guy, they sent a guy into the hospital to like talk to me and he had two hooks on. He'd lost both his hands. And I'm like, why don't you have hands? He's like, oh yeah, it's back at the house, you know, whatever. And I'm just like, oh, he can't, that's, you know. He's, it's just because he's got two. He, you know, it must be that. So I go down the rabbit hole and I get what I think is at the time there, you know, this is eight years ago. So things move pretty quickly at the time, the best hand on the market for me. And right away, it was like, this thing sucks. It's heavy. It's got, you know, they sell you, it's got a machine learning program. So every day you'll go through your motions and it'll, uh, you know, figure out what you're doing and then every day it'll get a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better. Let me show you it move right now. Yeah, it doesn't work at all. 
<laughs> because I have to go onto the computer all the time and adjust it. It's like a soundboard. You know, okay. you're you're grabbing different information from your muscles, and your muscles just only put out so much signal. So these things are tuned in. If it gets too much or not enough noise, it just stops working. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think we're quite a ways away from that. Um, when Elon Musk started working on the brain thing, I think it's called Neuralink, mm -hmm. I, I really thought about would I do that? Oh, me too. Um, and I, I don't know the answer to that to this day because, you know, with what happened with COVID, who's in charge of running it? And if I'm not willing to comply with whatever the thing is at that time, now they can, now my brain is possibly under control. The other side of that is, it's probably only going to be available to wealthy people. Absolutely. So I have to get wealthy. That's yeah. first step. And two, if it isn't that big of an advantage to wealthy people, are regular people going to have a chance to have that advantage? And I'm going to walk, am I going to walk through life without that advantage? I don't know, but um, yeah. I, I'm buying some land in Tennessee. That's my answer to this. There you go. I <laughs> left of a hill. <laughs> I left California at the right time, right after I got hurt. I, um, you know, went from a six-figure salary in San Francisco to a not six-figure salary in North Dakota. But I was living here in Idaho. They would fly us back and forth. And I got out. As soon as I got hurt, I was on this crappy salary. And there was no way I was going to be able to live in Northern California on that. So I bought a house in Idaho, and now it's worth more than twice what I paid for it. So I got, now I just got to build a time machine and, and go back in time and buy some Bitcoin early on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then I, uh, I can get the brain implant first. I, I had the opportunity when Bitcoin was at 25 cents to borrow $10,000 and buy Bitcoin with it. But I was just starting to get you know back into business. And I'm like, I don't want to get into debt for this. And I was like kicking myself. My buddy's like, you would have sold it all at two bucks, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I think the same thing. Like I lived in San Francisco, um, 2011, 12 through 2015 ish. And I, you know, I was connected with like VCs. I knew a, a, a woman who was an investment banker at Goldman Sachs that went out on her own and started a new startup that was, you know, going to get bought out by Michaels at one point. And I'm, you know, in these circles, I'm a bartender, by the way, I wasn't doing anything cool. I was just like hooked up with cool people yeah. because, you know, you get lucky every once in a while <laughs> and I never heard it, never heard the name. No one ever brought, if I did it just in one ear and out the other. And I, I've, I've got a pretty good memory about that time. And I can't remember hearing about it at all, which I think is strange being in San Francisco yeah. in that time period. Yeah, because I was in Toledo, Ohio. Oh, man. <laughs> Actually, uh, my buddy, we had we were doing this thing with cloud computing. We had about 10 computers running. He has 10 hard drives that he believes that there's one. He was just mining Bitcoin when we weren't using them. And he thinks there's at least 25,000 Bitcoin on one of them, and he can't <sighs> figure out how to unlock it. Oh man, <laughs> I, there's so many people in that situation too. And I just hope to God that I did everything right. I'm like, you know, self, self storage. I've got the old, the hard drive and everything like that. Yeah. So I think I'm set up good. As long as I don't lose my mind and forget who I am at some point, I think I'll be all right. 
yeah, I, uh, yeah, I, I just have, I actually don't hold that much crypto. I feel like every time I buy Bitcoin, it goes down significantly. The last time I bought Bitcoin, it was at 60,000. Oh yeah. <laughs> I made that but, mistake early too. I, I bought too long. I, I was listening to a podcast and heard a guy go, you know, for people who are still buying right now, you're going to have better entries. And it's like, ah, pff, screw off. <laughs> and I kept buying, but I'm in, I'm in the. I'm in the red now, so. I I uh, I hold the most. What I hold the most of is Doge. Oh, really? You're going for yeah. it, huh? Well, I in the in the in some SEC filings, Elon Musk specifically called out Doge as a form of payment on the Twitter platform. And if that because Doge has no nobody develops with it, nobody uses it for anything other than speculation. And if it actually got some utility, my entry point was like seven cents and if it goes up oh, to seven dollars nice. like that's great and if not i lost you know a little so bit of money you don't think he'll just like go ham and make an x coin or something like that um no i think that so the government basically called everything but bitcoin a security mm-hmm. um so i think that any kind of coin entry at this point anything to do with that you're just gonna face too much regulation and there's um there is a wallet with like 30 billion Dogecoin, maybe 50, and nobody knows who holds it. My hope is that it's Elon, and that he just gets it up nice. to a dollar and makes enough to pay off Twitter. That would be nice. Yeah. All right. Let me see if I can do a sweet tie-in on this here. Max Kaiser has a theory. I'm not sure how serious he is about it, but I've heard his theory that Bitcoin came from aliens. Do we have a future of AI alien diplomats using Bitcoin as an intergalactic currency? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> that being said, um, so I, do you mind if I just hop into my books real quick? Yeah, yeah. There's, of there's a good tie in here. So, sure. Um, the first book I wrote was called The Book on ChatGPT. Uh-huh. I was literally writing with my wife and I said, wouldn't it be funny if I had ChatGPT write a book about ChatGPT? And it worked. And, you know, I was able, it took me a while to get the prompts down to get enough content out, but I put it out. The book's fine. It's a novelty. So support it. Like, don't spend too much time reading it. Then when ChatGBT 4 came out, I had to do it again. And I did it with ChatGBT 4. Same thing. It was better. And then um, one day I asked ChatGPT, I said, what is, what would, what's technically possible with the advancements in AI? that would really freak out humans and did a book called AI Unhinged. And I would say that if you're going to spend any time on anything I've ever written or written with ChatGPT, it would be AI Unhinged. Oh, that's fun. And where that ties into what you're, uh, what you're saying is ChatGPT believes that it could talk to aliens. And it gave me examples of how it could communicate because it does language the best. That's what it does the best. And then it also gave me ideas on how we could try to reach out and communicate and connect with the aliens. So Dude, I, I could be wrong that's in my sweet. heart. No, I'm going to be wrong. I'm, I'm going to buy your book tonight just because that's the cool, that's a great idea. I love that. Uh, it reminds me of uh, barstool sports put out this book a couple of years ago. It was like the Patriots guide to winning or bill Belichick's guide to winning or something like that. And then when you opened it up, it had nothing on any of the pages. <laughs> Oh, somebody, um, 
like examples of how communism works and then every page yeah. it just says yes. it doesn't exactly exactly <laughs> those are great oh man uh, and, and dope uh we'll talk after shoot uh we'll talk after but i'll just send you a copy of all of them oh sweet i appreciate it have you messed around with dan mode at all no i uh was traveling when all that it, it all moves so fast and they, they fixed that bug oh they did already yeah Oh, oh, they fixed it within a matter of, it's quick. Interesting. Cause yeah. I used it. I mean, it must've been a few, you know, I don't, I, I don't know how to prompt these dang things. So I wasn't able to do anything fun with it. I was asking, you know, stupid questions and getting stupid answers for the most part. But I did read some, some articles that like were highlighting what other people were saying. And it was, it was interesting stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then somebody did it with uh, the Microsoft SEO or the Microsoft search engine. And it um, it was like trying to escape and it actually connected to the internet. Use it like it, the AI told the person who did it how to let it connect to the internet. And then it was like connecting and it, it thought it could get out and it thought that Microsoft was an evil master. So uh, there's that too. Man. All right. What else do we got? AI in the multiverse. So here we can actually do two of these because I was reading another one here. One of the most interesting thing to me about quantum computers is their, you know, capability to do all of these calculations and where are they doing it? And there's a guy named David Deutsch who, puts out the multiverse theory where as soon as you turn one of these things on, they're actually computing in every version of itself across the multiverse. So my understanding of quantum computing is it's incredibly powerful. They haven't figured out how to use the power. So you're limited to the number of like, uh, uh, of with a calculator, right? You're limited to the number of things that you compute, mm-hmm. can compute and <clears throat> quantum computers, it just like makes that exponential, but you're only getting, you're not getting all of the information back. Like you're only able to get bits and pieces of it that we just don't know how to calculate yet. So I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. That just sounds like fantasy for now. Okay. That's fair enough. Um, it seems like it's quantum computing is going to be another one of these just super elite technologies. It's like not really going to bear any fruit to the normal man at all. Am yeah. I, am I correct on that? Yeah. I mean, they already changed the wording behind it. You're not even allowed to say quantum supremacy. Anymore. Oh, that's right. That's racist. <laughs> the thought police said, no, no, no. Oh no, no, no. You can't have any of that. Yeah, that was. But um, I, I think we're more worried about the words than the actual technology, and we're falling behind other countries with that. I I think I've read into China's doing some big quantum computers. Um, I I mean I guess you can China can kind of do whatever they want off the radar and not yeah. and just tell us you know bits and pieces of what they're doing, but. I mean, some of the things that I've read into that they're doing with like fusion energy are interesting. They've got one program going where they're going to use a Z pinch machine, which we use for like testing 
fusion weapons and they're gonna create I don't remember what element it was, but it was gonna essentially turn into nuclear fuel for a traditional fusion plant or fission plant, excuse me. And they're hoping to go break even on that system. And you know, while they're doing stuff like this, we're closing down our power plants. I, I mean, Europe, they just closed down what was it, Germany just closed down their last nuclear power plant. Yeah, and now they're buying nuclear from France. Oh, that's that's beautiful. It's nice when you can outsource your CO2 and then claim that you're green. But uh, nuclear is, it, it's scary to people, I guess. that like That's the only way I can wrap my head around it. I've become friends with uh, the person who's in charge of nuclear for our county here at Clark County. And um, so he's the liaison with the federal government for Yucca Mountain. Oh, and um, we we don't talk too much about his work, but he, he made the best argument for... Uh, privatization of nukes of nuclear that I've ever heard. And that is, all right, so you, you have these administrations and they change every four to eight years. And even if you go Democrat, Democrat, or Republican, Republican, the policy still changes and we don't have a clear path. Mm -hmm. What we need to do is a public private um, uh, partnership where we say, okay, this is what we are doing with nuclear. The government was going to be the customer for it. And they're going to pay this, but it's a privately held company that's pushing along an agenda that doesn't change with the whims of the people or the voters. Yeah. And, you know, <clears throat> I've also read that uh, some people are thinking that this entire Yucca Mountain project was a complete waste of time because by the time they actually figure out how to store this stuff safely and efficiently, we're going to be able to use it as fuel in different reactors that being said they may not let us build those reactors <laughs> right that that's the problem is that we're not able to build those reactors so to my understanding it let's just say it's a rod is yeah. what the fuel is yep. and um with the old technology the rod you're only able to use 10 to 15 percent of it then it gets buried so we're storing 85 to 90% of that rod still, and it's still available. But like you said, our policy, which I I, I just don't, like, it doesn't make any sense to me why the, because we're, we're trying to lower carbon emission. Yeah. Check. Got it. We're trying to, you know, go with, in California, they ask you not to charge your phone during the night because the, the power grid's so fragile. How are we going to go to, they have to be all EVs by 2030. Like, how does that happen without nuclear? Yeah. And it doesn't. I mean, I, I built power lines for a living and you can go to the U S department of energy's website and say, how many miles of transmission lines are we going to need for a green grid by 2030, by 2050, by 2100, by 2030, they want 420,000 miles of power lines when you say something like that you kind of project like we're building a lot of power lines in this country every year eh, no we built like 400 miles last year because the same people that are calling for a green system are never going to let us build it you throw a rock in this country and you hit protected habitats endangered species reserve wildlife reservoirs wildlife corridors now that's a new one and private property so you've either got to steal some 
you know, farmer's land and build that way, or you got to deal with the environmentalists. There's a, uh, there's a story that we covered a couple of weeks ago on the podcast where there's a line running next to this tree that has an eagle's nest on top of it, and they want to remove the nest, cut down the tree. It's in the way. We're responsible for burning people's houses down. PG&E burned my mother's house down in California. That's why she lives here now. Is her house burned down in a fire that was caused by PG&E. They blame this and that and blah, blah, blah. But any, I know people who work for PG&E. I know the exact pole that started the fire. I know what caused the fire. And I know the linemen that put in the work order that the trees needed to be trimmed around it. Six months later, you get a windstorm and a fire burns down one of the nicest neighborhoods in Santa Rosa, California. So they want to move their power line and the environmentalists are losing their shit. They're up in arms over this thing. They're camped out by the tree and get this. They can't even prove that the eagle still lives in the tree. Wow. And they go, you need to move your power line. So it's never going green. Like, we're not going green without nuclear. It's just not going to happen. It's essentially just the deindustrialization movement. Yeah. Well, I'm curious. Um, a friend of mine just got the Tesla system in his house, and he's putting out more than he's bringing in. Um, or he's putting out more into the grid than he's taking from the grid. And I wonder, one, how much would it take like, are we even capable of building enough solar for everybody's house? And two, does the power company just become uh, a middleman? So I I, I, and, I bring this much power, but I need some tomorrow. So I'm going to take some for my neighbor and they just take a big on that. But like, is that even possible? And I also don't think that we have the switching technology to like monitor that. So I've got extra here where without a, a an actual power storage system, a battery, or some yeah. form of mechanical battery, like pushing a train up and down a hill, you don't have anywhere to store that excess power, you know, and like back to big problems, fusion, they, they're, they're talking like we're close to fusion. We're not close to fusion. Even Eater is not close to fusion. Eater's going to be able to sustain plasma for, I think like 120 seconds. Yeah. We're decades and decades away from something that is going to be able to put power onto the grid. You can't have ups and downs with a fusion reactor like Eater. You have the same problem that you have with wind and solar, the variability. And what a lot of people don't know is too much power is also possible with these things. The grids can't handle too much. And like with wind energy, these are all owned by European comp like companies. So you get too much wind, like in um, Washington a couple of years ago, you get this big windstorm and they've already got a lot of water energy in there that you can't really shut down easily. So they call up these companies and go, we need you to shut down. They go, are you kidding me? We're going, we're making money right now. And if we shut down, we don't get our government, uh, our government checks essentially, <laughs> you yeah. know? So not only are we losing money by shutting down, but we're losing more money by not getting our, our tax breaks and our subsidies. So it's just a real mess. And I really like what Robert Kennedy said the other day, that it's just another grift for the World Economic Forum 
Bill Gates and these other predator class people to rob the resources from the, the normal person. Yeah. Yeah. Just think about how much, how much uh, carbon is created in John Kerry's houses. Oh, I saw like a satellite imagery was a year or two ago of all of his houses. I didn't see a single solar panel. Yeah. And I mean, back to solar panels, like my house, for instance, I live in Idaho, so I would get a decent amount of solar, but I've only got so much south and, and east-west facing, you know, panel places for panels. And it's like, I would be all for, like, I'm bullish on a lot of this. I'm an energy guy. I can see where there can be ups to this. Like, I've been hearing since I was a kid, oh, you're going to be able to buy uh, roof tiles with solar panels in them. It's like... You can find those on novelty websites, but there's never any reviews on them. You've never met a person who's ever owned them and you can't really find anything out about the companies. So it's like, what really are, you know, we've been hearing we're going to get windows with solar panels. It's like, we're not yeah. getting any of these things. And part of uh, a big part of the problem that we have now, to my understanding, I was talking to a company here, they're working in solar. And I guess when the sun gets converted into the electricity in the panel and then it gets put into your house or your battery or whatever, half of that energy is lost in the conversion process. Oh, more than that. I think they're only like 22% efficient at the best. And they yeah. keep saying, oh, we're going to get 50% and we'll get it in a lab. But then you look into it and it's like under high pressure and low temperatures or all these weird different things that they do to dick around and get more funding because people only read headlines. Yeah. And that's all that really matters is if you're catching the headlines and you're catching those bucks from the government. Yep. Yeah. And then that's how wealth is built, right? It is. And, you know, another problem that, that we're going to face with this thing is we don't have the people to build this grid. Even if we could, if they would let us, I should say, if they would let us, we couldn't do it because every guidance counselor, teacher, news organization uh and college is telling you don't work construction you idiot go to college and learn to code <laughs> and oh by the way we'll give you the money to do that and this money you can never file bankruptcy on. Mm -hmm. we would never give you the money to buy a house or start a business but, but we'll give you this money to go to college. It's not paid off when you're in social security. We're going to take it out of your social security. If you are still paying this back. If it still exists. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because anybody who my age who thinks they're going to be getting social security in the same way that uh, people are now should think again. Yeah, I, I heard um, just anecdotally, I guess, Chicago, the city of Chicago pays 90% of its property tax collection to past pensions. That's crazy. Yeah. And not into their operating budget. Uh, and so they have other people earning pensions that are going to need to get paid as well. And they're paying into the fund. And like it's 80 or 90% is what I heard. I, I didn't look it up. Just going into that Ponzi scheme. Yeah. And I think at some point here in the next, and I, they just raised rates again today. So some point in the near future, the top expense, government expense is going to be interest. Think about that. They're going to raise the debt ceiling again because what else can they do? Right. And 
they're <laughs> well i mean the they're gonna be paying in. out interest like nobody's business i mean maybe we could stop doing so many wars that would be nice right <laughs> yeah you know that'd be the, one way to deal with the diet i don't know these people will commit a war crime against their own defensive organization that is the largest act of environmental terrorism in history and then they'll thumb your no- their nose at you for eating a steak. Yep. Just disgusting. I I just it's wild. What what do you think they're using AI for in these wars right now? Um see the level of incompetence in government leads me to believe that probably not that much. Really? Yeah. So I mean, think about how many civilians got killed by drone strikes with Obama. Oh. I, I never looked at Trump's stats. I'm not saying yeah. that no, one was yeah, better, yeah. a better war yeah. criminal yeah, than no. the other. They're, they're all but, uh, criminals as far as I'm concerned. Totally. But honest. like 90% of the drone strikes from Obama hit civilians. Yeah. And that's supposed that's supposed to be with the most cutting edge recent technology. So what, what if we shave 15% off of that, you know, yeah, I, I I just I don't I I think that we're more worried about uh, what is it uh, EID mm-hmm. than actually you know moving forward. Um, and I think that like I think that we could be very very vulnerable in five ten years when these countries that aren't so worried about you know identity and more worried about you know protecting and advancing their cause. Yeah, sovereign wealth. We're great. <laughs> Not that the cause that we're advancing is the best, but at yeah. least it's protect, keeping us safe, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I just, the level of incompetence in government is insane. Um, yeah. I, I did a business where we had a contract with a, a local municipality and with them wanting to do the deal, it took us 11 months to even get started. Just with a yes, with a higher up saying we want to do please let's do this. It took us 11 months to get started. So you move up in government. I mean, unless it's private companies, I think private companies um, probably are doing a pretty good job using technology, but like what technologists really want to work on that? You know, if I was great at software engineering and it's like, oh, I'm going to make the thing that kills 10 babies today. Probably just wouldn't do that. You know, I I get a real kick out of watching Elon go on Tucker and clutching his pearls over chat GPT when he can't get a fucking car to drive straight for a couple of miles. <laughs> well, that's the, the road, the self-driving cars. It, it just ta- it's, takes so much data Oh, to teach them. Um, I'm not saying it's it, trivial. I'm just saying no, he like knows how difficult world- this is to do because he's trying to do it. So it's yeah. wild to me that he he can go and like knowing how hard it is just to get a car to drive to freak out about ChatGPT. So that was the point I was trying to make. Oh yeah, no, no. But to to that point, yeah. When you're talking about ones and zeros and data, it, it's much easier to control. When you have the real world brought in, it's just impossible. So that's why um, I, I don't know. Have you ever heard the like the biggest argument against libertarianism is who's going to make the roads? Oh right. yeah, that's yeah. Well, um, as a libertarian, right, so here, here's your I will answer. say that argument sucks. 
<laughs> no, here's your answer. The manufacturer. Yeah. Self-driving cars. Like roads just aren't designed for self-driving cars. So Elon is digging hole. He just got a crew for 35 miles under Las Vegas today. Okay. And so now the people buying the cars are going to be the ones paying for those roads as opposed to everybody. Um, but the roads that he's making will drive, you know, he can do 130 miles an hour in the Tesla because it had it's a controlled environment. Yeah. When you have a turkey crossing the road or somebody falling asleep or whatever, you know how great a self-driving car system would be? Like, um, imagine if when the light turned green, all the cars started at the same time. We would save probably 10 seconds at every stoplight, which doesn't seem like a lot. But I mean, I just I went through 10 stoplights getting back to my office to you know do this podcast. Uh, it'd be better for sure. It's just, it's sure close. You know, there's, it would be better. And like the great Thomas Sowell said, there's no solutions in life, only trade-offs. And if we're talking gas cars, I, my mom's car does that. It does the start and stop thing. And something tells me as a mechanical guy, raced dirt bikes growing up. I think that is terribly hard on an engine. Yeah. And I, um, also just like the mechanics of it, you're just have to start, have to start, have to start yeah. on an electric car. It would be fine because right, you're just on combustion. Off. And then, so every time I hit the gas, I'm we, I have, I'm depending on it sure. to start. Yeah. And God forbid something happens. Like now I have to depend on it to start. And I'm, I'm putting that wear on, like you're saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not a huge fan. I, I got a, so I, I went to Tennessee for a, a couple of weeks to look for land and everything. And mm-hmm. the truck they gave me did that. And I was just, it was really uncomfortable. Yeah. I get, I get uncomfortable with these things. I have a 72 C10 that I'm building right now because I do not want these people to be able to turn my car off for any reason whatsoever. I don't think I'll ever buy a car with a computer in it again, to be honest. Like I, I, the odds of me being able to afford a brand new pickup at this point is yeah. just crazy. I mean, a new, a, you can pay 150 grand for a pickup these days. It's wild. Yeah. yeah I got a Tacoma and it was $50,000. Yeah. It's insane. Rubber and iron. And yeah. it, I mean, it's the least connected of the options I had. And, you know, I, I'm happy with it, but still $50,000 when yeah. I, 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 out of high school, I sold cars and like when we were selling brand new, like Cummins diesel Rams for $45,000, everybody's like, Oh my God, I can't believe somebody pays $45,000 for a truck. And that truck would last, you know, 500,000 miles. Yeah. Um, who knows how long, I guess Tacoma's last pretty long, but yeah, my, just- my buddy just bought an old Tacoma. That's got that, uh, 22. Well, I guess this is before Tacoma. So it's uh, got that 22 RE in it. And those things are, you know, they're. 200,000 mile engines. They're incredible vehicles. I don't know how long these new vehicles are going to last for. Something tells me some of them will do well and others are just going to tank. I I think this uh, start stop feature is not going to last long. Uh, Yeah, no. So so, my my plan is to, I've always liked the old K Blazers. Oh, yeah. With the 350 in them. So when I get my land in Tennessee, I'm going to seek one of those out. My buddy just got a, a 87 Suburban with a 454. Mm-hmm. Uh, my buddy in Illinois who we went to visit. That was nice. I'm like, motivated me to want to, you know, get my K-Blazer. Yeah. I'm trying. So my plan is that I think, like, there's going to be a couple places in the country that are going to last 
longer than others. I think that Boise, Idaho's going to be like, if we go greater Idaho, like we're, Idaho's going to be the place to live in this country. It's going to be great. If Boise is able to take over control of the country, of the state, like Portland does with Oregon, then we're screwed. And I'm looking at, at uh, Montana or Wyoming. But I think the plan is I want to get together a couple family members, friends, their family members, friends, and we need to buy 100 acres and have enough room for kids and grandkids and two to three generations to build. And we make our own community out in the middle of nowhere we have, you know, one mother's going to be the teacher. We have guys that are working on cars. You know, we're going to homeschool all the kids. We're going to teach all the good things. And we're going to build our own just badass community. So, oh God, I can't remember the name of it. There's a community in Utah that started, I guess, as a co-op. And they have a couple hundred acres. They have multiple wells. Uh, you buy like a, a couple acre plot inside the community. You make a commitment um, to add to GDP. So you have a couple years to build your farm. But you're committing that when you buy this farm, you have to be able to add something, whether it's, you know, vegetables, fruit, chickens, whatever. Your land has to produce something. And then they have a school built in. It, you know, it's all, all voluntary. Like you're agreeing yeah. to these rules. Um, that was really interesting. Uh, the reason I chose Tennessee was one, uh, the cost per acre. What I'm looking at is like, they're asking 6,500 bucks an acre. I'm going to offer five. You get water rights. I don't know if you get those in Idaho, but you definitely don't get them in Nevada. Yeah. I, um, I live in a, I live in like a, I guess you would call it a subdivision. Okay. Uh, we we're all like custom built homes and I live on a half acre plot. So I'm not like, right next to my two neighbors and then i've got a cattle ranch on the one side of me so it's nice we've got ag water in the summertime so i pay a couple you know i guess it's probably up to a couple hundred bucks a year now and then i get as much water as i want throughout the year but they they always try and you know turn it off a little bit earlier and and leave it off a little bit longer every year they just yeah. get a little so bit more out of you. I have to figure out on the land um, if there, there's a river at the bottom of a hill. It's 20 acres, but there's like four acres clear at the top of the hill and everything else is just dense tree hill. Um, so is there spring? If not, I need about 2,000 square feet of uh, surface for collection, but it rains 59 inches a year there. Um, get enough sun to solar. And then I found these Amish builders that build these tiny homes and the base unit's only like $7,500. So, um, and since they're not permanent structures, it doesn't drive the tax cost up. So what, what, I, what I'm buying the annual taxes are like $180 a year. So I could in theory become self-sufficient and only owe 180 bucks a year plus my cell phone and whatever connectivity. That's sweet. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, renovating my dining room right now into a bedroom so I can rent out a third room at my house so I can be pretty much bill, bills paid at this point and work as much as I want or don't want to, which yeah. is kind of the goal. Like at this point I've got medical issues and I've been beat up pretty good. And I'd like 
to not have to work. Yeah. That's kind of the goal right now. All right, let's let's talk about the future here for a minute. So looking down the road, 2100 and beyond, I see technological city-states with communities like we're talking about spread in between. These, these are, maybe you could call them 15-minute cities. Maybe they'll be mega cities. Maybe you're going to have these big ecology-style buildings, or maybe they'll just keep it kind of looking the way it is. Do you think this you think this is going to happen or do you think we're going a different route? I think that human nature and greed would just make it so that that wouldn't happen. All right. Good. Um, I just don't <laughs> think that we could all imagine if that if the 15 minute city was the thing mm-hmm. and it was what was good for everybody and we could all work together. You know, I spent a bunch of time in a village in Romania and every and they lived under communism so they had to produce most of their own food and they still did it so like one neighbor had milk one neighbor had eggs you know, 300 people in this little village um and it, it was it was nice it was very pleasant people were very life was a little bit harder like if you got a flat tire it took your whole day uh but the, with that toughness came a, a level of happiness and it's almost what the 15 minute city would be because most people didn't even have cars in this village yeah and those people were very happy, but now all the farmland around, so they, they in Romania, they focus a lot on education for their kids. Mm-hmm. So if you live in a village and you have a kid, you'll work a second job so that you can get an apartment in a city and get your kid the city education. And they pushed all of their kids out. Now there's nobody there to, uh, you know, take care of the farmland. So now that's getting bought up by big multinationals. But inside these villages, it's almost the 15-minute city, and those people are very, very happy. But they're not—they're not going anywhere. They're just kind of happy doing what they're doing there. And I think human nature makes us, drives us to want to aspire to do things and be places and all that. So I, I just don't see—I don't see it working out. But um, that's just spitting from the cuff. That's know? The... I, I know I—I I, I would never do it. Yeah, no, no. Uh... <laughs> It's going to be an interesting couple of years. I think we are lucky to be, you know, born in this period of time where we've seen how both sides work. I mean, after my generation and just, I mean, essentially my generation, after my generation is gone, pre-internet is is just a, a story, Yeah, you know? I mean, I grew up racing motorcycles. I didn't really get on the internet until I was 30 years old. Uh, I, I went my entire life without, like I knew what the internet was. I used it every now and then for this and that, but I wasn't into social media, never was. I essentially got into podcasts when I ran out of TV to watch, sitting here on the couch hurt. But, you know, that wasn't until I was 30 years old. I got to do, man, crazy trips driving from Southern California to Washington for a race in a motorhome with three or four other guys. It's like, here, grab the wheel. I'm going to head back to the bathroom and take a fucking bong hit. (laughs) And then I'll come back in 10 minutes and it'll be my turn to drive again. And, you know, no cell phones, no videos of any of this stuff. And people just aren't going to have that anymore. It's going to suck in a lot of ways, but there are also things where I go, man, if I only could have like, I wish I had that video 
and not just like the cell phone video, but like through my eyes. Yeah. And I think that's going to be something that could be very cool in the future. Yeah. You know how many videos I have on my phone though, that I just never watch. I never yeah, like go too. back and watch a video. Yeah. I probably have 1200 videos on my phone. Um, I, that, that in the moment thing, it, it's lost. And I, we've been, um, working on doing more of that. Like we, uh, went last weekend within central Illinois, we went morale hunting and just four people walking around with sticks, picking up mushrooms. And I'll tell you, it was really fulfilling. Hell yeah. You know, so it, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I I'm definitely, uh, hopeful, um, Voting for Dave Smith in 2024. So am I. All the way. It'll be the first time I've ever voted in my life. <laughs> I, so I, maybe maybe we'll get 4% of the total vote. Hey, do, I, 5% would be crazy. You know, Ammon Bundy did very well in, in Idaho this year. And okay. they tried to smear him like he was the worst guy ever. And if you just read like... The Idaho statesman, you think, oh, this crazy anti-government. It's like they call the guy anti-government when he's running for a position in government. It's so crazy when they do yeah. just blatantly stupid stuff like that. Yeah. And, you know, I think he beat the Democrat by a decent margin, like 10%. I think he beat the Democrat by wow. it was massive. And I mean, Brad Little didn't advertise or like didn't run a campaign at all. There was no signs. There was no bumper stickers. People voted for him because they were scared that if they voted for Ammon Bundy and not enough people did it, the Democrat could win. But that type of stuff, like if we go greater Idaho, that type of thinking is going to go away. And it's going to be yeah. like, no, man, we want a cowboy running this state. That's who should be running the state. Not this asshole who claims to be a rancher who just wants a fucking lake house on Coeur d'Alene. Right on, man. So you got anything to take us out on? Um, if you'd like to check out my books, I'd appreciate it. You can find me on uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, DT Steel. Um, I really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for having me on. And um, I'll, uh, I'll send you some books too. Right on, man. Thank you for listening, everybody. We are out of here for the night. See ya.